0: And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley, And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy
1: group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and
0: accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself.
1: Welcome to Shrink Chicks. We are so excited to introduce our guest today, Rachel Bernstein. Rachel is a fellow LMFT, author, and host of the Indoctrination Podcast, and you may recognize her from her recent appearance on the Stars documentary, Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult. Welcome, Rachel! Thank you so much for being here. We're so excited.
2: I am so happy to be here, uh, and I do love to speak to fellow therapists, there aren't so many of us in this particular area of specialization, so I don't actually get a chance to hang out with a lot of different therapists, especially people with the same license, and I also love the name of your podcast.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. We worked really hard on it. We needed something a little catchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but mm-hmm. it's especially we we were really excited to bring you on because we we both watched the documentary and um you're right that there aren't a lot of therapists who specialize from what we hear, in um in cults and so we just
0: it definitely wasn't part of our grad school education.
1: Right. What like is- that wasn't an option for us. Right
2: right
0: yeah there was there was no cult track there was only sex therapy and family therapy um so we would love to hear a little bit more about your journey to becoming a therapist specialist and working with some of these survivors
2: right okay so it's an interesting thing because exactly as you said there was nothing in school there was no track yeah, still, it's it's rare to find it. There's a program I know run by friends and colleagues of mine in England, um, which is lovely. Um, and, but I also know that it needs to be available in so many more places because there is definitely more of a need for this kind of therapy than there are therapists who can provide this kind of service. And Now, especially that there are not only people who have gotten involved in cults as adults, but because they've been around for a long time, they're now second generation, third generation, fourth generation people who are out there needing help and not able to find it. So I encourage people to look into kind of figuring out how to do this work. I was sort of flying by the seat of my pants when I first got started uh, because the only books out there at the time were written by cult leaders who thought they had something really wonderful to say. Um, But that didn't really help me in this work. (laughs) Uh, I was like, yes, they're narcissists. I knew that, you know. Uh, So I don't know how that's, you know, useful. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so much of what really prompted me to get into this was um, having a family member when I was in high school, having a family member who got involved in a, in a cultic group and we could see this sudden personality change and distrust of the family suddenly and false accusations about us and you know all of the stuff that cults do where they try to rewrite your history and make it so you should feel lucky to have found them so they can keep you safe from the world outside and everyone in it. Uh, It was very alarming. Um, So when I went to college and I then, by then learned about some cults and cults that exist on college campuses and under front names, I saw it. I saw it on my college campus. I thought, wow, this is real. Um, And then when I went to grad school to become a therapist, I was at USC and I remember being in, Um, in a program in a class where they talked about what would you provide your clients beyond the talking therapy? You know, would you get them involved in some adjunct kind of program uh, self-help group that might help them? And people were saying, yes, you know, I had gone to this and this was really helpful, but I knew this, thing they were mentioning, was kind of destructive and took over your life. And I thought, wow, that's all people need to finally go to a therapist and have their therapist, you know, refer them to a cult. So I thought, all right, that's it. I have to do this. I have to figure out how I have to learn. And um, I just decided that while I was gonna meet with regular clients, and I still do, about 20% of my clients probably know nothing about this part of my life and the work Mm -hmm. that I do, um, because I just see them for, you know, whatever it is, sort of typical things. But as soon as I said, you know, yeah, I wanna be out there helping people who have been involved in cults and trying to guide their families to interact with them, suddenly my client felt they just kind of flocked in. And it's now consistently been about 80% of uh, the work that I do. Wow. Wow.
0: When you bring up this interesting point that we sometimes forget is like the power we have as clinicians, that if Mm -hmm. we make a suggestion, how much weight that carries yes and how incredibly dangerous that could be
2: yes right and you know hopefully we'll have time to even talk about this which is a very trippy thing i uh, have worked with a number of people who got out of uh relationships with therapists with their own therapists where the therapist took over their lives
1: oh my god
2: and um, and became their cult leader and mm-hmm. um and I run a former cult member support group um, every other Wednesday night. Now it's online, but um, someone in the support group talked about her her fear of coming back into a therapeutic setting um, and also a group setting. Because if you didn't make a commitment to come to every group, which was a few times a week in her group, um, you were talked about you were defamed you were mm. shamed um you're not making a commitment to this work etc it's very culty um and you couldn't make one decision in your life without the therapist giving you permission or telling you what decision you should make um and so it was um it's very scary for a lot of People out there to go back into a therapeutic setting once they've been in a therapy cult. And there are those.
1: Wow. Yeah. yeah like the, you know, Nexium, for example, um, you know, it, it looks like it brought a lot of people in with the kind of self help aspect. And it's, you know, just as you're talking about that, it's so interesting, like, that the way in which to heal, right? I mean, as we talk about is like going to therapy and how, like, does that ever feel re-traumatizing for them going back into therapy or self-help in some way with that kind of fear?
2: Yeah, it's re-traumatizing. I give them so much credit for taking that risk uh, for saying, you know, uh, at some point, I'm not going to let this bad, quote unquote, therapeutic or really non-therapeutic experience affect my ability to get the help that I need now. But it takes some time, people, you know, it can take them years to feel safe to mark on this. And sometimes they wait until they know someone else has seen someone someone else who has left the same group, has met with a therapist and had a good, safe experience or kind of a corrective and healing experience, then uh, they'll come to see you. Um, but yeah, there is a real fear that somebody is gonna be in that position of authority, who they're gonna trust, who is gonna abuse that trust. And that also they are not gonna be able to remain independent from that person's control and have their own thoughts and or be able to disagree, uh, be able to stop when they want to, you know, um, that they're gonna give over a sense of agency. They're gonna give over their independence as soon as they're in that therapeutic relationship because that's what happened before and they don't yet know what to watch out for. So what I start by doing is telling them what to watch out for and I will tell them if you see that happening or if you worry about that happening with me, tell me or yes. leave, please leave. <laughs> like yes. it's true. Yeah. No. right? The door's open. And especially on Zoom, just t- turn off the computer. Just close the computer.
0: <laughs> well, but I mean, right. I mean, the reason that most of us show up to therapy, show up to some type of self-help thing is we're looking for identity, right? And it's the very thing that people lose in a high controlled situation and how much influence we have as therapists in helping people discover and sometimes shape their identity and how when someone has lost their identity, they can make anyone into a guru, right? Like this idea of like how much power we have as clinicians. There's lots of times we, we make mistakes. We say wrong things all the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's important for our clients to hold us accountable for that. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing, (laughs) It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz, and Hungry Root will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids' snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper, chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash Shrink Chicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you.
2: Yes, right. Exactly. And so I'll tell you, <clears throat> I'll tell you a little story. Uh, when I was first um, doing this work, I, I was working at a place in Los Angeles that had been in existence. Unfortunately, it's not anymore. Um, through actually Scientology pressuring the agency to close um, for anyway, it's a long story, but Scientology has closed a lot of places mm-hmm. um, through threats Uh, that could be resources to people out there, um, unfortunately. But in any event, um, I was working at this place while it still existed. It was called the Cult Clinic. It was in Los Angeles. It was part of Jewish Family Service. And um, I was asked to run a former cult member support group. And it was actually quite big. In fact, there were some current Scientologists who wanted to get into the group uh, saying they were former Jews or former something else. And so they could be in this former cult member support group. And I said, no. And then they tried (laughs) to bring me up on charges of religious persecution. And that's Uh why I wouldn't let them in. They just, mm, you know, they've been in my hair this 30 years, but in any event, um, I, here I was, uh, the ink was basically, still drying on my license. I kind of didn't know what I was doing yet. Like a lot of us have this sort of imposter syndrome, yeah. which I think shows some humility when we first start this work where we're thinking, why did you come to me? You're like, I don't know how to help you, <laughs> uh, uh, but like, give me a couple years, you know? So uh, I think it was hard because Here I had this group of former cult members who were nervous, who were asking me questions, like, is it okay if we get up and we leave? Are we gonna be talked about when we leave? Um, Are are we gonna have to wait, again, make any decision in our life until you give us permission? No, no, no. But after the first group, I remember going back to where I lived at the time and thinking, wow, (laughs) it's really funny to think about it. I thought, I'm really good at this. I mean, here they were, they were all agreeing with me and they thought that what I was saying was really wise. And then suddenly <laughs> it hit me. <laughs> and then, oh, right. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. So then <laughs> I had been, I had been gurufied, and I didn't realize it. And no. so I had to go back the next time and say, listen, you know, here's, here's a little tip. You can disagree with me. I can be wrong. I can handle that. And and in fact, I want you to tell me when I said something that doesn't seem like it fits. And I want you to try that. And I could see the look of panic on their faces. Wow. And I said, okay, then let's try it in a way that's not emotionally charged. I'm going to say to you, I really like your red shirt, but I knew the shirt was blue. So how can you let me know that I'm wrong? And they said, but it, we couldn't do that. We couldn't say, you know, um, without threat of consequence that even, you know, no, actually the shirt is blue. Uh, so we had to practice kind of role playing that um, because there was real fear. Because if you kind of, for lack of a better clinical term, pissed off the leader and hurt their, you know, kind of fragile narcissistic core. You would be publicly shamed or berated for hours and hours and hours.
1: Wow. I mean, it sounds it sounds like a lot of the work that happens, and we talk about this all the time, that you know the relationship between the client and their therapist, um, that that's part of the work, right? And so it sounds like a lot of the work would come from kind of your relationship with the client in the room hmm Yeah.
2: Yeah, it does. And, and something now it's it's a little moot because things are online, but um, something that I have decided to do, which is very purposeful, and I don't know how, how necessary it is, but it makes me feel comfortable, is that I arrange my office uh, in a visual way to send a message. I have actually... Um, <laughs> Measured the height of my chair and the height of the other chairs and the couches in the room to make sure no one is higher than anyone else. And I'm definitely not higher than them. I don't want them to feel like they have to like, I see myself as sitting on this throne as they've experienced before. And I want us to, in a very literal sense, be seeing eye to eye. Um, and so for some, most people don't notice it, but I think they might feel something and other people have actually noticed it. Like, "Yo, know, it's nice to actually we're looking at each other. I'm not looking up to you and you're not looking down at me. Wow. Um, uh, and I think also, it, yes, the relationship is a really important one, especially because a lot of people, by the time they get to me, have usually seen other therapists who either couldn't help them hadn't studied this didn't have an interest or kept telling them these things just didn't happen they you know they're probably delusional that they were in a group where they thought the mothership was coming but actually that did happen because when you learn about that group that is that was the philosophy so the person isn't delusional um and I think you know other people have had the experience of trying to talk about it, but because it's not within the therapist's wheelhouse, they keep changing it. They keep changing the subject. Well, let's talk about your childhood or let's talk about your mother. And and it's been avoided, actively avoided. And so I think that they're they're really wanting help and they're not wanting to have to keep waiting to get it.
1: And it makes it, you know, it makes a ton of sense. And I think as we, you know, as we talk about it, and once again, as we watch the documentary, we kind of learn a little bit how, um, you know, people get pulled into it. And so I, you know, just want to hear from your perspective, because I think it's so easy um, for people on the outside to kind of look at members of cults and think like, how didn't they see that this was manipulation? Um, Or how could they agree to certain things um, within the cult? Um, And so can you touch a little bit on like how kind of that process, like what draws people in and how they might not be able to see what's happening?
2: Yeah, so it's a multi-layered kind of issue. So what draws people in uh, is a kind of a multitude of things. As I've um, talked about with a lot of my clients who will often judge themselves, um, you know, what's wrong with me that I didn't see this. I didn't see it for what it was. What's wrong with me that I trusted the wrong person? What's wrong with me that even after I started noticing things that I I'm not happy about, or that I knew were wrong, that still I stayed. So these are all things that, you know, need to kind of be understood. And we will talk that through. And so just as I talk to them about it, I'll try to take you kind of through those steps, uh, how I help the people I work with understand what their process was. But what draws people in usually is some kind of false promise. Oh, mm, or an opportunity that the group says it's going to be able to provide for you. Um, with Nexium, people weren't getting into this thing that's now called a sex cult. In fact, most of the people weren't having sex there at all, and that's why it's a shame that it that moniker the media has given it is shaming. Um, But most people uh, got in because of this ESP, the Executive Success Programs, um, which I think purposely was actually called ESP. Um, But still, they wanted to have success in their lives or get over the the things that were blocking them from having success. And um, a lot of them had good business acumen and wanted to keep working on that. Um, and it was, so it was very innocent, and it's what a lot of people are looking for, um, especially when things are hard financially. People are looking to create more success for themselves, um, and other people are looking for something spiritual. They have gone through recently a hard time where they've dealt with some issues around health or getting a brush with their mortality and they want to know if there's a life after and so there's a group out there that will answer that question for you you know sometimes people get involved not so much because of who they are but when they were recruited or when they saw the ad for that group and it really spoke to them then um and sometimes people are just looking for community because a cult even though there are some one-on-one cults um most cults will give you insta community and these are all people who are like me and we all now speak the same language because cults have their own lingo and that means sort of we understand each other uh and so that feels really nice at pierce's isolation which a lot of people are experiencing now and that's unfortunately why cults are doing so well right now So that's the draw for a lot of people uh, the people who get in later not the ones who were born and raised into it the the draw for them isn't any actually it's not what they chose at all it, it was just in kind of inflicted on them um but once you get involved you are made to keep your blinders on um if you have any negative thoughts if you're angry about anything happening there if you're sad about it if you think that it's wrong immediately you are taught to, um, criticize yourself for having those thoughts. Mm. And that's your, that's the devil in some, you know, Bible-based groups that that's your negative thinking. That's the thing that's going to get in your way. That's your emotional blockage. Um, we can help you with that. So you really think that whenever you're, you know, you're taking in kind of the evidence of your senses, which usually kind of got guided you in a good way and let you know there was danger here. Well, within a cult, they will tell you when you have that experience or that reaction, that just proves how much more you need them because you're having those thoughts. It's very trippy. uh, Right from the start.
1: You're like taught not to trust yourself in a lot of ways.
2: Right. And that's very debilitating when people get out because they hang on to that. They're taught and not to trust themselves And still don't trust themselves for quite some time after they leave. Wow.
0: So, for you, someone who has worked so much, I'm so interested to know do you think people, like we'll call it a, a, whether it's a Keith Ranieri or any other cult leader, do you think their goal is to start a cult or do you think it evolves over time and they're like, oh crap, look what I could do here?
2: Right. So, it's a great question because um, I've seen. Um, a couple of different ways that cults have started with some, you know, and I've met a couple cult leaders, which has been really interesting. Uh, And so you get a sense of them and what kind of what they're up to, or if they're up to something um, or not, uh, to a certain degree. Um, Okay, so there are kind of three different cult leaders, um, kind of the, the types, prototypes that I've noticed. one is this kind of very innocent um, uh, person who really has some kind of pathology uh, who really um, believes that either that they have a magical power or that they can commune with people or ancient spirits or whatever else. Mm-hmm. and they hear them talking to them and people jump in to that kind of group and that group think in that philosophy or that theology. As kind of a à adieu right a shared psychosis and so that doesn't mean that those groups end up in, in being fine just because it's more innocent because you still have groups like heaven's gate like in san diego where that was the case but they ended up killing themselves um to go to the mothership uh, which is the reference that i used before so you still want to watch those groups for danger but uh, the cult leader isn't trying to start a cult they're saying here this is what i think is true you know, who wants to join me in this? Um, Because I want to share this important information with you. Um, Then you have the people who start out kind of just wanting to be street preachers or teach a class or run a yoga studio whatever else. Uh, But they find about themselves that people happen to listen to everything they say. And Mm, they feel like Pied Piper's and they suddenly have a sense of their charisma and they're kind of fascinated by it, but also really drawn into it and start to like it way too much and start to use it. And those are the ones who morph over time and become kind of more drunk with their power. And the more that happens, then the more cult like their group becomes. Mm-hmm. And so they transform the group from something innocent to something not innocent at all. Then, Most of the cult leaders uh, are starting a cult and they know what they're doing. They've studied it. You'll find, you know, on their bookshelves and now probably just on the internet, but they've they've studied other people who have run cults. Uh, They study totalistic leaders. They study people who have um, done hypnosis on large groups of people and how they did it, how they drew people in and and lower their defenses, and so they know what they're doing uh, from start to finish. And those are the ones who are, in my book, totally reprehensible. Those are the Keith Ranieri's of this world.
1: Wow! Wow! We did we did an episode a few weeks ago about um, narcissistic personality disorder, and I think it's just so—I don't know what the word is—like fascinating <laughs> that like people. There are people who know what they're doing and that they hurt other people knowing that they're hurting other people.
2: When they get a satisfaction from it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's, oh, it's chilling. It's, it's chilling. chilling. Like, yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like um, hanging out with someone at a party and then you realize afterwards they're a serial killer, right? You're yeah. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> like mm, you know you want to take a shower you like you were so close to just sickness and awfulness and you didn't know you know um because they were charming um so that's how a lot of people feel now who have left groups like nexium and other groups like it where they think you know i i sat and hung out in a room with someone who was doing some horrible things and also was intending to do even more horrible things but seemed so benign and lovely, and had this nice smile, and seemed to care, and so I didn't notice the evil under the skin. And it's it is really um, awful for a lot of people who realize that after. But yeah, you know, narcissists, the malignant narcissists, um, who I come across a lot in this field, um, they they really they love inflicting pain. They love pulling people away from their lives. They love causing their families and friends pain um, by making them make kind of a a show of allegiance to them by saying goodbye to their family and friends or accusing their parents of abuse. um, So it's easier than, or convincing them that the parents have abused them so it's easier to say goodbye to them. They also, unfortunately, love causing people within the group to inflict. <laughs> Who is that? They're, um yeah. It had something to say about what I was saying. Sorry about that. Um,
0: <laughs> they, they needed to get a comment in.
2: Yeah, right, exactly. That this pisses them off also, clearly. <laughs> um, <laughs> um so anyway, sorry about the barking. Um what I yeah, what I think we've noticed in a lot of these groups is that some of these leaders love when they can get people within the group to inflict pain on each other.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, And that's a whole other level of disgusting behavior, um, because they, they like the power of seeing if they can get someone to do something that would typically be against their moral and ethical code that is outside their conscience. Um, and how do you get someone to do that you usually will get someone to do that by feeling like that's a way for them to show that how much they're devoted to you and and how much they want this to work and this is you convince them this is the only way all this hard work and devotion they put into this is actually going to going to work by showing that they're able and capable and strong enough to do this that's one to show allegiance and to show bravery And the other way they usually get people to do this is by convincing them that this is gonna be for the other person's benefit. And this is gonna help them grow and be stronger in some way. But unfortunately you have these lovely people who leave these groups and, and feel so much shame and so much worry about themselves that they were able to be pushed to do these awful things or to let awful things happen to other people and they knew that was happening and they didn't do anything to stop it because they were kept from being able to stop it. Mm -hmm.
0: So what would be your advice? What would you say, like if someone said to you, how do you really recognize emotional manipulation and abuse? Because really this amount of manipulation, coercion,
2: control,
0: to me, that's what I have understood as the pillars. I'd love to hear your thoughts
2: on that right okay so one more time I just want to make sure I got the question so we can edit out this part but what what, just say that one more time so you have it well
0: so I'm interested to know like you know if someone had come to you and said how do I know right how do I recognize emotional manipulation and abuse
2: because I think there's
0: people that are concerned and I think people can whether it's with their therapist right like well my therapist says they care about me and I pay them to see them and I see them every week and they know all this stuff about me how would I know
2: Mm mm-hmm right okay so when i am working with people um i can sometimes tell and sometimes not right away that they that they have been involved in a cult or they've been taken over in a certain way a lot of cult members have an outward persona that's a very practiced persona where they come across like they're fine um they've learned to be fine to the outside world the cult leader will usually push people to seem fine um, because they wanna keep getting away with what they're getting away with. And so if the people in the cult look awful and uh, look bedraggled and uh, worn out and that clearly they've been abused or neglected, then that's gonna make people be suspicious of the cult. So they have a, a very kind of strong, everything's fine, kind of outward way of approaching people. Um, And so sometimes you don't find out right away that someone has been through something. It's only until they feel safe sharing that part of themselves uh, uh, that you'll start to see that they're actually very jumpy and kind of panicky, um, very worried about how you feel about them Mm-hmm. very worried that you're upset about something that they did and you have no idea what it even is only because you you're not wired in the same way that a, a narcissist is so you're not injured by the same things uh and you're not as sensitized to the same sorts of things so um there, when i notice a client will call me or email me in between sessions and apologize for something um i will have a sense of it wow. uh they're just really, really worried and they want to make sure I still like them. Uh, And when I say, I don't remember what happened, they will at first see that as a test, which also is a sign that um, I'm not believing them right away. uh, And they still have to work harder to apologize harder, which is usually what a cult leader will do. And if I say, I honestly don't know what you are, referring to or I do know what you're referring to and there was no problem with it at all, not to worry. Um, They will sometimes still cancel their next appointment because they can't deal with what they're sure is going to happen to them uh, when they come to see me. They're sort of these markers. Um, I've also noticed people will sometimes, uh, if they come to the group when I had them in my office, if people show up late, which was never allowed, in in cults or in therapy cults especially um and you'd be berated for it i will sometimes see my call light going on a couple minutes after the group starts and then it will go off like the person is not sure that they're ready to let me know they're there but that they arrived late Mm. and then i'll see it go on again like they're thinking they can trust and it goes off and that's how i know you know it gives me a sense of what they've been through um and And I think also when people um, don't feel deserving, they leave really taking on the sense that the reason that they, uh, let's say, left the group or were kicked out um, was because they're not worthy of being there. They have uh, abandoned the mission. Um, They let down the leader. They let down the world, you know, all these things that are Mm -hmm. used to kind of keep people in. and so you'll see them doing a lot of self-sabotage because they really don't feel worthy at all of anything good. Um, so again, there are many things to look for, but these are the things that I notice most often.
1: Wow. I mean, I, my mouth is wide open, like while you're talking, cause it's just, it just sounds like such, like you almost have to really help them rebuild themselves and trust themselves. And it's just gotta be a lot of like deep emotional work that goes into that. And also building trust in you. And being able to open up, and you know, because I think a lot of the work that we do is helping people to connect with who they are, be their authentic selves, feel like they can be genuine and comfortable with who they are. And it sounds like in a cult, it almost, you know, very um, specifically creates this distance between what a person is portraying on the outside and what they're feeling inside, and not to trust. Um, those internal feelings. So it just sounds like a lot of work um, to do, you know.
2: Right. There, you know, years ago, um, there had been a a woman who I think if people want to learn about kind of the early days of learning about cults, you can study her. She passed away a number of years ago. She was wonderful. Uh, Her name is Dr. Margaret Singer, and she was a professor at Berkeley, UC Berkeley, And she studied a lot about manipulation and coercion. She studied uh, POW camps and um, where people were controlled en masse. Um, And she one time was speaking at a conference uh, and she dealt with a lot of harassment actually by a lot of groups, by Scientology and other groups. And she was great at just kind of being really fierce. And it was hilarious to see her because she, she had these glasses and she had this gray hair and kind of a bob, and she was just wearing kind of tattered sweaters and looked like she should probably be knitting and not like you know, <laughs> you know standing at the door wow. with a shotgun, you know So no one would ever know that she was someone who, you know, had had spoken before Congress and had done really some amazing thing. So this, Dr. Margaret Singer has this wonderful quote, that I think about a lot, which is that when you are in a cultic system or a cultic relationship, which we can talk about, you learn to deny the evidence of your senses. And it is highly disorienting. Mm. So you ignore the thoughts in your mind, because these are thoughts that are not of the same caliber as the cult leader or, um, you learn to, and so, you know, you'll dismiss your thoughts and wait to find out what you're supposed to be thinking. Um, you will ignore the sensations in your body, being incredibly tired, being sick. It doesn't matter if you're sick in a cult. You still have to work. You still have to be showing your devotion. Um, if you're feeling hungry because you just haven't eaten, uh, well, that's a spiritual hunger, and so you need to fast for longer to show that you can get past that. Um, but I I think the, the hardest part is that um, you're also supposed to ignore um, all of your emotions in general. So if, again, something happens where a boundary is crossed, where something happens to you that really shouldn't be happening... Um, you are not to be angry about it. You're not to be upset. You're Mm -hmm. not to be hurt. Um, You are supposed to be fine or grateful. And that makes people really dissociate from themselves. And then coming out of a cult, they have to find a way to mm, kind of merge themselves back and reconnect with their, their core. And that takes some doing.
1: I can imagine yeah, I can imagine that taking, especially because that's like the pinnacle of, you know, getting people to to follow this is to disconnect or to not trust themselves in a lot of ways. And I know I know that earlier you said you had a a family member who was in an a cult and you recognized that their personality was changing. Um and you know, I know we talk a lot about uh, other people needing to come to conclusions on their own and that we you know, can't see a future for someone that they can't see themselves. And so what would you suggest to someone who might have a family member, a friend who is involved in a cult or they see involved in a cult? Um, like how do they get through to that person? What's your experience with that?
2: Yeah, so I think... Um... There's a way to do it that is counterintuitive. So that's why it's good to get some guidance on this. A lot of family members, parents uh, have responded in a way that was a very natural way to respond. But it's a way that parents and friends fall into a trap that's been set by the cult and which I'll explain. so when you realize that someone is involved in something or you find out that they, all the different changes that they're going through have to do with either someone they're dating who has taken over their lives, taken over their minds, uh, or that they're involved in a group that's taken them over and has changed uh, the way they talk, the way they think, what they believe, how they look, how they dress, whatever else, um, who they trust, who they don't trust, and of course only the people in the group and the leader are the people they trust anymore, Um, people will usually say, I think you're in a cult and, uh, or this is really scaring us and you need to stop doing this and we need to somehow find a way to keep you away. Um, And so that is the very, again, natural response, but that's also falling into a trap. So the cult has usually from the beginning taught people that the world is very black and white. And so the people who are in support of you will be the people and the people who love you are the people who will support you doing this. People who, even if it hurts them and even if it pulls you away from them, they will understand why you're doing this and be fine with it. And if they're not, they don't love you. And if they're not they haven't really taken the time to understand you and if they're not okay they are being selfish they're trying to control you they're the controllers they're the ones who are abusing you and keeping you from having the life and the freedom that you could be having now of course we know how you know there that line with um people jumping in to try to protect you, uh, that a cult leader will say that, well, those are the people trying to control you. I mean, it's dripping with irony, Um, (laughs) right? And so uh, a lot of people will say, you you know, to their parents, they've learned to say certain things. Like you just can't support um, my my ability to make uh, choices for myself or my free will. And uh, again, Uh, an ironic statement because uh, once you get involved in a cult, you actually forfeit your free will. Um, And the problem is that parents, they're also often ostracized and judged uh and for if they say that their child has gotten involved in the cult, that will usually be seen as a mark of their parenting, which is a very unfortunate thing. So just as it's an isolating thing for people who have left cults, it's very isolating for the family and friends of people who were in cults because immediately they're judged um and it's awful. but um I think what what family and friends should do that's different is, that they need to not give their opinion of the group they need to not be the ones who are trying to in a very obvious way keep their loved ones from getting further involved or by or going there um they need to know a couple things one is that as soon as they say you're in a cult and you can't come back they are going into kind of the camp the evil camp the people who are are trying to keep you from having your mm, you know your wonderful life or your insights or whatever the group is is offering you. And so now they're the ones who, according to that equation, no longer care about you or love you. Uh, parents also will need to be able to do something which is very hard, which is that they need to be able to just sit and listen. They need to listen to their loved one and just have them mm, teach them about what they like about it what they like about this group what they like about the leader what they're getting from it um oh my goodness
0: <laughs> <laughs> Karen, um, <laughs> sure that the dogs aren't under control by the squirrels right oh That's great um, question let me check for mind control
2: <laughs> oh my goodness wow i had wow never of that. that is wow okay. we got some we got some narcissist
1: squirrels. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, right, right. exactly. <laughs> it does happen. Uh, <laughs> although they're pretty cute. Um, anyway, <laughs> see, see, you never know. Um, but parents and, and loved ones need to remember that they have access to information about a particular group in a way that their loved one who's in it doesn't. People who get involved in cultic groups are kept from the information they need in order to make a fully educated decision. Cults one of the markers of a cult is that it dictates how much access you have to information, so you are not to check out any articles that have been written about the group you're not to talk to people who have left. You actually when you're in a cult, you know the least amount of information about it than anyone else, um, so here for parents to have their child come and talk to them and teach them about what they know. The parents will know that they have the backstory and they know much more about this group than their their child does or their loved one. Um, But just, they want to be able to have a conversation that is as stress-free as possible, where there's no arguing, where there's no disagreeing, where there's just listening. Uh, And in that way, they don't fall into any trap. They remain safe people to talk to And um, because there's no tension. And uh, there's also an important thing that happens in that moment where you show an interest in what your child is interested in. And you also learn what this, why this speaks to them, why they're interested in this. So just do a lot of listening. And then after a while, What you want to do as a loved one and a parent is you want to connect with other parents who are in this situation, um, uh, fellow loved ones, and there are many. So you're not alone and you won't be judged. People will understand. Uh, And then parents need to be able to start changing the conversation. And so that's something that I will often guide parents to do where they will say, listen, you know, I was really thinking that this was a cult, but I could be wrong because, you know, what, I, what I've what i learned is, well, here's the definition of a cult. And so I'm really happy after they delineate all the different characteristics. I'm really happy that's not what you're involved in. Now, the list is something that absolutely uh fits the group that they're in and absolutely (laughs) describes everything that's happening there um but they give their loved one an out where they don't have to feel criticized the parent can be wrong and what you want in that moment is for there to be some cult education uh, and then for that loved one to go back to that next meeting or that workshop or the compound um, and see it for themselves and once people start to see it for themselves, it's much easier for them to kind of di- kind of disengage and disentangle uh, because they don't feel they're being pulled out. So they're not going to kind of dig their heels in and need to somehow prove, oh no, no, this is fine, this is fine. Uh, so uh, I think a lot of what I do for parents and loved ones too is to have them talk to their loved one as much as they can and keep communication open by saying, you know, you deserve to be treated in the following ways, with respect, with having a voice, with having a say, with having your goals um, supported, and you seem so happy in this group, you know, it might be that really here, your goals are supported, then people really see for who you really are, they love you for who you really are. And that, you know, that is not something that ever happens in cults, that people are respected for who they are and loved for who they are. But again, what a, a, a parent isn't doing is that, they, they, you know, they aren't saying, you know, this cult leader doesn't care at all about you. And this is a cult. And, and you know, how come you haven't seen it for yourself? And we can see it. And we didn't we raise you to be someone who you know, could tell if you're being manipulated and um, these people are awful because that's just going to push your loved one, especially a child, further in. And so if you just highlight how you are really hoping they're being treated because that's how they deserve to be treated because of how great they are and wonderful they are, again, you're doing a a really kind of of showing them actually what they're not getting Mm. in the cult um and also what they are getting that is really wrong and so it's planting seeds it's not pushing and pulling and fighting arguing disagreeing it's just planting seeds and you hope that they germinate and if they don't and time is passing and you think they're in a dangerous situation then you start working on an intervention if you can and that's the that's the next thing but i think these mini interventions are the first line of defense that's where you start
0: that's amazing rachel that's unbelievable advice and also helpful advice that I think can be brought into a lot of stuff when we talk about people, right? Right. Like if, relationships. Well, yes. If they're in an unhealthy relationship, if they're in an unhealthy relationship with substance, right? Like of how to not attack someone and how to meet them where they're at and try to listen and create that safety for you to be a place. I mean,
2: how- right. It's, yeah. It's so interesting. You said that because just the other day someone was saying to me, you know, I, I, Uh, I um, am fine with, she was taking some pills for a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, it it doesn't control me. I control it. And I said, that's really great. And I used some of these similar things. And I said, because if actually you were having an issue with addiction, there would be no shame in it. um, Because it happens, it just means that chemically you are being um, kind of triggered inside your system which has nothing to do with you know your ability in this life and your strength and the kind of person you are we're just talking chemicals um and also if it were something that were taking control of your life then you would probably feel like you couldn't make it through the day without it, or you couldn't show up to whoever's house right. without being on it, um, or that you would imagine if you didn't have it on you in your wallet or your purse that you would start panicking. But you know, it sounds like you know those things aren't happening, uh, and they are. Right. Um, right. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, but if they are happening, then you might just want to look at it differently, and see what you can do about it so that. It doesn't make you feel um, uh, dependent on it because I would hate for it to have that power over you. <laughs> so here's the info: take it or leave it. Uh, hope you take it. <laughs> <But> <laughs> decide, you know, decide for yourself.
0: That's amazing. All right, Rachel, we have one final question for you. Yes. Yeah. Are you ready? Drum roll. Okay, when, <laughs> what was the class when we're becoming therapists, it's because we want to help people, we want to do research, or we want to teach a class, or, you know, we just want to sit in a room with someone. It Things become a little different when you start to get noticed, right? <laughs> You're also taking on something that could in some ways make you a target, right? Going against cults, speaking out, helping people. So I'm wondering for you, what was it like being featured on this seduced documentary in sort of this hope high-profile
2: way that puts your name out there? Hmm. Okay. So, uh, it's an interesting thing because, uh, I've been on shows. I, you know, I have done media. I mean, this is kind of before um, Netflix and stars and other shows that I've been on, but, uh, you know, I'm always amazed by how I think something is a big deal, like a big deal of my life. Like, wow, this is cool. And friends and some family are, you know, letting me know that, oh, they happen to see me on this thing. Um, and my life is so saturated with hearing about these cult stories and following them. And so, But still, there are many people who have never seen these shows, don't have any interest, and still to this day have never heard of Nexium. And so I know that uh, while it is big and it's a lot of exposure, um, still it's good to keep it in perspective. Um, and you can feel like a, a, a big fish, but it's in a small pond. I wish it were a bigger pond because then more people would be educated mm-hmm. and they could learn how to protect themselves. Uh, a little bit better and know what to watch out for in this world to keep themselves safer. And that's the whole point of this podcast that I do, of k- keeping people kind of aware of a warning signs so they can keep themselves safer. Um, but yeah, I think it's actually been, I think it's been nice to kind of show how I do this, how I might respond. Uh, And some therapists have have contacted me and said, you know, in the scene that was uh, on Stars on on Seduced, uh, here, India's talking to you. And I was thinking about how I would respond as a therapist, but I heard how you responded. And I was wondering... Mm, that maybe if I want to do this work, I might need to learn how to develop kind of a nuanced way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think I need to, mm, I think I need to explore this as its own field. And it kind of is its own area specialization, its own field. um, Because what I liked about the show Seduced is that they had different people on, different cult specialists who I know, they're all my colleagues, uh, but talking about how to understand this and how to address it and how to respond to it. And it's very important because it is different. Um, the the only, you know, exposure that I don't love is the exposure that gets me in hot water with Scientology, but that's been, again, for the last 30 years.
1: Uh, <laughs> you stood <started> at this point.
2: <laughs> I, I really am so, you know, it, um, if I'm not getting harassed, um, and they're not trying to take my accounting license away, which has happened at actually now three times oh, uh, wow. that they've tried. And I've gotten, you know, my my board, they're now also doing something. Well, anyway, it's a long story, but uh, they have this policy. They say they don't have, but it's in writing. So it's like, you know, when people say, I never said that, but then you have it on video and, wow. uh, you know, you can actually show them. Um they, they have this policy called fair gaming, where they fair game people, which means that they can try to destroy them in any way, um, reputationally, in terms of taking away their ability to practice or their a way of supporting themselves. So um, they, they're in the process of doing that now with my board again. And so I deal with that. So <laughs> having, having that, um, being on stars, it's actually a pleasure. And it's lovely. <laughs> uh, and so, I guess you know, um, my pers- my perspective I've, is is a bit off on on attention. Uh, I'm happy to get the positive attention, um, and not that I need it, but it lets me know people have watched the show and maybe they've learned something about their own experience in the past, or they've learned a way to. Know what to watch out for for themselves in the future, or they've find found a way to guide their loved ones or future generations in knowing what to watch out for. Incredible,
0: Rachel! It was amazing to have you here today.
1: Thank you so much. You you learned so much. Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> like we, we
0: said this wasn't in grad school. Right? Yeah. now you'll have to start. Now you'll have to start. Maybe you'll start your own major
1: that's yeah.
0: that'll be it that'll be your next part i'm sure there's lots of people but you're incredible rachel how could people find you
2: right so they'll just listen for my dog's barking i think if they follow <laughs> that's um, <laughs>
1: They <laughs> can come find you by the dogs.
2: <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's where Rachel is. Um, so, uh, where they can find me is uh, um, through my website, rachelbernsteintherapy.com. Um, they can also email me at bernsteinlmft uh, at gmail.com and through my podcast, The Indoctrination Show. Uh, and indoctrination show at gmail is a place to email me there or they can just listen to the show weekly uh, if they want to hear other people talking about their experiences Um, and and then I think also I'm on the advisory board of an organization that I, I really want people to know about called the International Cultic Studies Association, and it has great conferences and great materials and articles and resources for attorneys and other people who you might be needing when you're dealing with something like this. Um, There's also something that I started uh, with uh, other colleagues, and I've since moved on from it because I didn't have the time to continue with it, but it's a wonderful program that still exists. It offers Five free initial consultations with people just coming out of experiences like this. Usually they have no resources, they've given over everything to the cult leader. Um, And it's called Stronger After. You can find it online, Stronger underscore after, and let them know you don't have the funds, uh, if you don't have the funds to seek out counseling, but you want some initial help just to help you land safely back in the world it's a it's a great place to check out
0: absolutely and we're going to link all of that on our social media so um, check us out on social media we will link all of these things rachel bernstein listen to the indoctrination podcast check her out on um stars documentaries seduced inside the next game cult rachel
2: thank you for being here
1: thank too. you so, so much pleasure. amazing
2: my pleasure. my pleasure and thank you for doing this work i love that you're doing it and it's been um a, a total pleasure to talk to you and to get to know you thank you so much
1: Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trellor. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. Warning though, there will be no surface level conversations here. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image after trying to check all those be healthy boxes. I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. I truly believe how you feel on the inside reflects out into every aspect of your life. So if you're ready to go below skin deep to tap into a whole other level of wellness, you're in the right place. Let's pull back the curtain for some Raw Beauty Talks.